electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Market confusion. Thanks, Jay Powell. Every time we've asked them if there's coordination, they always say no, we don't they always coordinate. Say no. The Federal Reserve's first fight? Inflation. Its second? Managing the interpretation. Wall Street Journal chief economics correspondent Nick Timoros on the post pivot. In some ways, this is a first-class problem for them to have because we're talking about, you know, decent growth and lower inflation than the Fed expected. Love him or hate him, and some advertisers do both. He's everywhere. Elon Musk, that is. He's too big to fail. That's, that's what I've come up with. He is too big to cancel. Walter Isaacson on the tweeting Tesla chief and university leadership in crisis. That's one of the problems we're having with our hair being on fire about everything from college campuses. Take a breath. These things, there are certain things that are really bad happening in this world. Under citation is not one of them. Those stories plus a maybe mega media merger and the fading fads of tech. Does anyone use the Oculus anymore? Nobody uses it. It's hanging on on your Peloton. Hanging on with the handlebars (laughs) of the Peloton. It's Thursday, December 21st, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here we go, everybody. More we than yesterday. Uh, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's a we. It's a two we. It's a wee wee. <laughs> You're a wee wee. <laughs> this all comes after the worst day for the markets since September. The Dow was down 476 points. It snapped a nine-day winning streak. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq each down by one and a half percent, and it does put markets on track for the first losing week we've seen in seven weeks, or after seven weeks. We've had seven weeks in a row of gains. We were on track for eight weeks until yesterday. Let's take a look at Treasury yields, too, because that was the interesting part of the story as well. The 10-year this morning is yielding just 3.886 percent, the two-year yielding 4.37 percent. If you're trying to figure out what was happening in the markets yesterday, yields tell you the story, maybe more concerns about a bigger slowdown Coming, not necessarily the Fed not cutting rates. That's why you see the lower rate, uh, lower yields leading to lower stocks as well. Right. Um, yeah, that Timoros piece, I don't think, was helpful yesterday for the markets. No. Yeah. Don't we right. have him on today to talk about yeah. things? Nick Timoros from the Wall Street Journal, kind of the Fed whisperer at this point about um, whether the Fed is confused, too. The piece laid out that the Fed, it's a confusing time, and the Fed may be a little confused about what to do next. I, I thought some of the stuff Worse, Worse has been very critical for, for a while yeah. uh, of the Powell Fed, but uh, it was critical yesterday. It's like, why, you know, why do you have to tell us that everything, in, that you might be cutting? Why, and why would you cut at this point if you don't know what the economy is going to? I think the thing that Worse said that, that struck me the most was this idea um, that, look, we're going to, the, he thinks the Fed is signaling that they will cut rates even if there's not a recession. 
what I heard was they think the economy's in great shape. The labor markets are strong and everything's great and that they're going to get inflation back to target. So markets took that and they said, fabulous news. You know, what I think is most troubling is the asymmetry. When uh, inflation's in. yeah, when inflation's running a little below their target by a couple of tenths of percent, they take out the punch bowl. That caught me off guard. The idea that maybe modern monetary theory ideas are still around. They're right back in there. it. Yeah, it doesn't um, matter. They get back to really low interest rates. But then they said the Taylor Rule says we're too tight right now. Right. So there, there's you could make a case even if the economy stays strong, but. And we can talk more with him today, but I wish he'd right. tell us who called him and what their motivation was. And because yeah. Austin Goldsby was already out, right. and I saw him, he was on. John Mark, Williams he, was too. Who was on Goldsby Spark was Fox on Fox. Friday. Was talking all, you know. Andrew. And again, no. don't you think it's yeah. all coordinated? Yeah. It felt it. It's felt yeah, it does. Yeah. Unless some people really do, you know. Austin, I think there have been times where he wasn't totally on board. So I don't yeah. know whether. Uh, well, that may be, but it goes against the, I mean, yeah. Yeah. The, Kevin, the, 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 I, I always, I always love listening to Kevin, but at the same time, I think to myself, if you listen, I mean, obviously, if you listen to the chairman a week ago, but then if you listen to all of the folks who've come out in the past couple of days, it's almost poured cold water on that very right. idea. But it, I, it doesn't make, it, it, logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense. What we all decided was, oh, great. Back to cutting. It doesn't make a lot of sense, and I don't know whether he, he really. You know, Austin would say he, that's not what he said. That, that that's the way the market Interpret took it. what he said. Yeah. But I, I think he did say that. I don't. I don't know if it's coordinated because every time we've asked them if there's coordination, they always say no. We don't. They always coordinated say no. I know. But, yeah. but but it wouldn't surprise me if people in the room were all kind of surprised by the market reaction and felt like, hey, I'm going to go out and say something yeah. about it. Uh, I mean, they're too, definitely collegial. They, 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 they all say they've been surprised yeah. by the market's interpretation of what he said. Let's get to this, this next one. I, there's all kinds of political implications. If Biden yeah. gets reelected, this can't happen. Can't, but or, then I was saying, Trump gets if Trump, Trump could be mad <laughs> at Zaslav. He, he could be mad at... He hated the media stuff He could be him. mad at uh, what one of the news organizations said about him and, yeah. and not <laughs> and block the murder. So either one, who knows? Warner Brothers Discovery and rival Paramount Global are in early uh, merger talks. Very early, it sounds like. Sources familiar with the matter told CNBC. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav uh, and Paramount CEO Bob Backish met on Tuesday to discuss the contours of a possible deal right over here. Across the street, yeah. Sources said discussions are preliminary uh, and a deal may not materialize. Uh, join us now, Puck's uh, Matt Bellany. And uh, what, they know something we don't know about, uh, <laughs> about this passing muster? I mean, how would this possibly, it couldn't get through right now, it doesn't seem like, with, with the, the, the current environment, could it? Well, you never know. And honestly, the way that these media companies are looking right now, perhaps they would argue that they need this scale to go up against big tech. And I think John Malone, the investor, has said maybe it would be even more uh, likely to go through if one of these companies was in bankruptcy, mm -hmm. which if Paramount Global continues on the track that it's on, we could be talking about. I don't know that it'll be bankrupt, but it's certainly getting close to a spiral where the shareholders are going to come up against Sherry Redstone. She knows she has to do something. This is something. And Bob Backish is now having a meeting to say, OK, make us an offer. See what you got. They even talk about Comcast Warner Brothers as if this doesn't happen. That, that, that seems difficult to that. That would just show you 
that net, how, how powerful, te you're right, that tech is, that you could put those two companies together just to make it more likely that, that uh, they're viable competitors to, uh, to everybody else, to Netflix and, and others in tech, Amazon. Yeah, I mean, there's some speculation that this leak to the media yesterday might even be a lure to try to get Brian Roberts at Comcast to come out of the woodwork and try to make a play for one or both of the companies here. And, you know, we'll see. They haven't said one way or the other. They've got a lot of things on their plate as well. But it could make sense. What, what would, uh, would Comcast want? I, I think back to some of the ways the, the baby's been split in the past. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you think back to the, the Fox Disney deal, new, or News Corp Disney deal, what would be attractive to each one of the parties? What would make sense, as best as you can tell? The studio. The studio here at Paramount in particular is the asset that people want. The streaming service would probably be shut down or merged into whichever one of these companies bought Paramount Global. The cable networks are still throwing off billions of dollars of cash, but our declining assets will ultimately decline and decline and decline. So you got to figure out something to do with those. I guess the thinking is if you combine Warner's television assets with Paramount's television assets, at least you would have greater scale in a declining business. But it doesn't change the fact that that business is declining. And if you're Dazloff, you want to really take on all these dying cable networks and make it even a, a bigger problem? That's the question. Maybe they can find someone to offload to. And obviously, if Comcast bought the owner of CBS, there would be a problem owning two broadcast channels. You would probably have to divest one of those or get the government to change the rules. It's crazy that it's almost worth it for Zaslav just for the NFL. Almost worth it just for that. It's just crazy. Maybe. I mean, if, if you think about Warner's getting CBS, that would be a much more attractive lure for the NBA. The NBA television rights or, are or coming up. sports in general. Yeah, exactly. But that's just that, you know, I don't know about streaming. I don't know about cable. I do know about live sports. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, some of those things are hundred, hundred, you're talking hundreds of millions of eyeball. There's nothing else that comes close. No, but it's also very expensive and you're renting those rights. I mean, the, the NFL payment that Paramount Global has to make is something like $2 billion and it's coming up soon just on the right to air football. So it's a very expensive proposition. Paramount is now the odd person out of the streaming wars. They are too small to compete and they're looking for a deal open for business. Apple lost its bid yesterday to delay an impending import ban on certain models of its watch. The International Trade Commission denied Apple's motion to stay the decision during appeal. That means only a last-minute White House intervention could prevent a pause in sales of some of the devices in the U.S. Apple announced earlier this week that it would stop selling the models in question on its website starting today and in stores after Sunday. President Biden hasn't given any indication whether he would veto the ban, although the White House press secretary said that they are tracking the case ahead of the December 25th deadline. Apple shares for the one year up by about 45 percent today, indicated up by about a dollar. Andrew. Thanks, Becky. Meantime, uh, let's talk about this other Bloomberg report uh, now saying that Apple has been ramping up production of the Vision Pro mixed reality headset could set the stage for a launch by February, which is earlier than some people had anticipated. Apple sent an email to software developers yesterday encouraging them to get ready for the Vision Pro by testing their apps with the latest tools and sending their software to Apple for feedback. It's something they do uh, typically when they do get closer uh, to a release. The Vision Pro marks Apple's first new product category since it began selling smartwatches back in 2015. The device 
is going to be a hefty price tag, $3,500, and it's going to need to be fitted properly to the user's head at the Apple Store at point of sale, or uh, it may not display content properly and could feel uh, heavy to wear, but um, we're going to see whether this new form factor is the future. That yeah. means you can't share them, huh? Like you can't get one pair right. and think you're all going to wear them in the household. Unless you're an identical twin. I do oh. believe that you can share them, uh, but that there's gonna, you're going to have to learn how to do the different settings on it. Hmm. So you'd probably have to bring, you know, Both I don't know if you remember when the watch first came out, <laughs> they really sold it at the store like a watch yeah. store. And you, you, it wasn't something that people were just buying online, really. It was you were learning how to do all of the little things. So this is in particular, you, there's a yeah. lot to learn. So maybe you'll bring your you'll bring your kids if if in fact you're gonna let them use yeah. this. For thirty five hundred, this all sounds like a big pain. I mean, well, it's it, I think there's the you know are you a first adapter or are you somebody who picks it up later as it gets cheaper, as it gets smaller, as it gets people get more used to these things. Andrew's right. We he have one. Watch as the example. We got. I saw what it looked like. We have something that looks exactly like that that has never been on anyone's freaking head. It's, up, it's upstairs. <laughs> What what is that? It's just an old an old one. It mean? looks exactly like it's just a, it's one of those things that you put a, on your a head. A few years ago, what was the one that was so hot a few years ago? Everybody was buying them. It was it was well, supposed Oculus to be the new is, Oculus, thing, Oculus is right? still yeah. a hot thing. Right. The Oculus I is never hot. Used it. It's Nobody be uses a big it. Christmas it, item this year. It's hanging it's on. It's hanging on your Peloton. Hanging on with the handlebars <laughs> of the Peloton. <laughs> hanging there. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the pivot throwing markets for a loop. The Wall Street Journal's chief economics correspondent, Nick Timoros, on the Fed's hikes and soon the Fed's cuts. It's just going to be a more difficult game of tug of war for the Fed right now because, again, tomorrow we're going to see that they are getting the upper hand at least over the last six months on inflation. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand Joe by in three, two, one. Good Joe. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew uh, Ross Sorkin. It's the best day of the week. Thursday. And it's even better because it's before the holidays. Before before the Friday. holidays uh, U.S. equity. Uh, it, I've thought it's been Friday a couple of times. I'm not really sure why. Was this like, week or today? Today. Oh, because you're so happy. clear. Thursdays are the best day. What's hilarious Thursday. is this This is you at your happiest. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I'm always happy. I am. I'm always, I am happy. I don't, uh, I've never, never doubted that. And I feel bad for people that aren't because I, I really think that it's, uh, some of it is chemically mediated. 
I really think that. You know, if you have a de depleted neurotransmitter. We're going deep, okay. Yeah. Investors are playing the Fed guessing game right now. The central bank signaling that cuts could be coming next year. That messaging isn't sitting so well with former Fed Governor Kevin Warsh, who joined us on set yesterday. And I'm sympathetic to their humility about where the economy should be, but to promise, which is effectively what they're doing, that they're going to be cutting rates next year when they don't know the state of the economy is forcing them to tie their own hands behind their back. Recent experience suggests that's a very bad idea. Here to talk more about the Fed and the path of rates in 2024 is Nick Timoros. He is the Wall Street Journal's chief economics correspondent. His latest piece is titled Powell's Pivot Sows Confusion Over When and How Fast the Fed Will Cut. And Nick, explain this to me because we have heard so many different variations um, uh, uh, from people's interpretations of what he said, Jay Powell said last week. I mean, to me, he was clearer than ever, but there does seem to be some, some market confusion about what happened. What, what was the message that he was trying to send out? Well, I think the disconnect is that you had the policy statement maintaining a weak tightening bias, right? They, they were trying to hold on to the option to hike again in their policy statement, which is what they all vote on. But in the dots and in the press conference, and they don't, you know, sit around and strategize on the dots. And in the press conference, that's the chair speaking for the committee. Uh, he sounded much more dovish. And so I think that was where you had the surprise to the extent that you had one. It was almost Becky what Chair Powell didn't say than what he did say. And, and what I mean by that is uh, since July of 22, in the opening statement at every press conference, he's come in there and said, we're probably going to have to have a period of below trend growth and labor market softening to get inflation back to the target. He did not say that in his opening you know, scripted remarks at the press conference last week. He was asked about the last mile being the hardest part, and he said, that's what we expect, but so far it hasn't worked out. So there was a little bit of a change both in what he said and in what he did not say. I, I think where I hear it most from, from market watchers and their expectations for next year now that, that seems a little difficult for me to try and, and put together is this idea that we are not going to see a downturn. We're not, go not, not a downturn. We're not going to see a recession, but the Fed is still going to cut rates. Do you think that is likely? Is the Fed going to cut rates if you still have a strong labor market and GDP doesn't show you recessionary impacts? Yeah, I think that was another surprise. If you go back and look at the projections that they produced in September, the SCP in September was more hawkish. And I think what the September SCP was saying, remember, they were still projecting one more cut this year, which they did not deliver. And then, uh, sorry, one more hike this year and then two cuts next year. Uh, they basically were saying, if you don't get the slowdown, you don't get the cuts. That was sort of the takeaway from the September SCP. The December SCP did not have that takeaway. They are now talking about, you know, so-called normalization cuts, where you simply conclude that if you're hitting your target or say core inflation is below two and a half percent, that's close enough, you do not need a five and three eighths Fed funds rate. I think, Becky, the other big change has just been inflation. Tomorrow we're going to get the core PCE inflation reading. That is probably going to be 3.1 percent over 12 months. That's what Chair Powell said last week. And the six month measure, you're looking at 1.9 percent. Maybe if it's high, it's two percent. So they're at their target over the last six months in June. The previous six months, you were at 4%. So how can you not ignore uh, the serious progress that they're making 
on inflation. I think that's, you know, the market's taking a lot from that right now, too. And it's maybe making this game a tug of war with the markets different from the past few uh, where the Fed has said, no, we're not going to do that. And the Fed was right. The market was wrong. We, we've had uh, a parade of Fed officials, including Austin Goolsby and John Williams, who have come through and, and, and basically made it sound like they think the market is interpreting things wrong. Do you get the sense that, that Fed Chairman Powell is unhappy with how the market has interpreted his, his conversations? Well, yeah. I mean, I would, I would point to the interview you all had that Steve Leisman had with John Williams, Mm-hmm. Powell had come out and said they had a preliminary talk about rate cuts in the context of people describing their SEPs. And then John Williams, who is the vice chair of the FOMC, comes out two days later and says, well, we really didn't talk about rate cuts. The takeaway there is they were not trying to send a signal that you know they're teeing up a March cut, that that's now the quote unquote plan. Uh, but it's harder, again, for them to push back against a March cut, because even though that's two meetings away, Uh, A lot can happen over three months. And so I think the surprise was that the market saw three cuts. It wasn't a promise. It was a projection. They see three cuts in the SEP and they say, oh, boy, let's price in six uh, starting in March. And so it's I think it's just going to be a more difficult game of tug of war for the Fed right now, because, again, tomorrow we're going to see that they are getting the upper hand at least over the last six months on inflation in some ways, this is a first class problem for them to have because we're talking about, uh, you know, decent growth and lower inflation than the Fed expected. But, Nick, very quickly, if if you see higher inflation and that could come from a lot of different places, let's just say commodities, whether that's oil prices or grains or anything else that's trying to get through uh, the Suez Canal right now that can't make it there. If that ticks up very quickly, could you see this Fed turn around and say, OK, we may have to raise rates again? Well, I think the first thing you'd see is they would just push back their projections of cuts. They can go back to the high for longer, higher for longer, whatever you want to call it. I think that's probably the next phase of this. Um, It makes me wonder, you know, what it would take for them to start hiking again. Uh, You'd have to see something probably in inflation expectations that would alarm you. Nick, want to thank you. Uh, Nick Timoros. Thank you, Becky. Next on Squawk Pod, is Elon Musk too everywhere to be canceled? His biographer, Walter Isaacson, weighs in on the polarizing billionaire. He's always shooting himself in the foot. But we've seen this since 2008, especially 2018, when he's doing the pedophile tweet. And then when he buys Twitter, it's amplified. I forgot about the pedophile tweet. Yeah, yeah, man, this is is not (laughs) new. Plus, how classrooms, newsrooms, and film sets are shifting these days, with maybe more mergers on the horizon. Consolidation in the media content industry is more complicated because it's hard to know what you're talking about when it's the market. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Squawk Pod with Joe, Becky, and Andrew. Here's Joe. And some data from uh, the CNBC All-America Economic Survey, and it backs up the decision of advertisers, some of whom have pulled out 
of X, but not for social or political reasons, but because users don't find the ads relevant. Senior economics reporter Steve Leisman joins us now with more on the data. Steve. Hey, Joe, good morning. Yeah, the CNBC All-America Economic Survey suggesting the decision of these advertisers to pull out of X for Twitter may not have been very costly. Americans rank the platform among the lowest in terms of daily usage and in terms of the effectiveness of its ads. Here's the top media sites, according to our survey. Facebook, 39% of the public say they use it every day. Broadcast cables, 34%. Uh, Chuck, Chuck went up for us here. YouTube uh, coming in at 34 Instagram, 22 And there's Twitter, 9% for all the press it gets and all the concentration of other media folks on it. Just 9%. It is the clear bottom there in terms of daily usage. Okay, who uses what? 18 to 34 group, they're really into YouTube and, and, and uh, Instagram is uh, 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 and Instagram. Eight, 35 to 49, that's, that's a Facebook bastion for, for them right there. Also the 50 uh, and over group as well. And then the 865 plus, they're really into the TV. I will say we had 33% of the 18 to 34 group saying they use Facebook. I thought that was relatively high. Um, here's the key ad metric that we're looking at, ad relevancy. Uh, 60% of Instagram of, of the public finds the ads on Instagram useful, 56% for Facebook. You can see a lot of those uh, uh, numbers are relatively high, lower for broadcast cable, Snapchat. And again, there's Twitter on the bottom. Just 24% of the public say the ads they see there are relevant. Who finds it most relevant? Well, age 18 to 34, Instagram. Uh, they're at 62% versus 50 to 64. They're at 51%. TikTok, the young folks find those ads rel relatively relevant anyway. And uh, uh, for Twitter, 18 to 34, 30% versus those who are older, just 20%. And you can see the broadcast cable there also relatively on the low side. Even when you level the playing field and you ask regular X users if the ads on X are effective, they give it low marks. There are some political biases there. For example, Republicans rate X ads more effective than Democrats do, but Republicans still rate them well below Instagram and Facebook. I don't know, Joe, I think uh, Musk may have some work to do beyond whatever the political reasons are there. And I, I don't know about you, but when, when, sometimes when I go through Facebook, I find the ads a little too eerily relevant. I was... Uh... I wasn't going to really out myself, but, but I, I was going to say, I'd be like the worst person you could ask for this, because it would be, you know what well, it would what be? What would you say? N.A. What? N.A. He doesn't buy anything online. He has no, uh, not that. I don't, I don't go on Facebook. I've never seen a Facebook ad. I don't go on Instagram. I've never seen an Instagram. I'm on, I don't like getting uh, ads on Joe, Twitter. you're useless. You're, I, I'm I don't told, need you, No, Joe. it would be <laughs> like, I'd be that person on, who do you want for president? You know, or, or who is the vice president? Okay. I'd be in that 20% that I doesn't know. I am the know. target audience because I buy a ton of stuff online. I have to say, last year I bought a bunch of stuff on X do ads, ads and work? I was disappointed by it. Have you been on TikTok? Do, you, do TikTok ads I don't, work? I don't, I don't use TikTok. Okay. Instagram, I bought half of Christmas this year, and I'm pretty happy with the stuff I got because it's got a really good algorithm. And, and what about the what ads, like. Becky? Becky, how do you... How do like you answer them. my survey? Where do you find the ads most relevant? Instagram. I mean, it, only because it knows me. It, 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 it has figured me out, the algorithm. It figures out what I like, what I buy, and it's repeat stuff, some of my favorite stuff do you, I, I now do buy you, from Instagram. Do you repulse it all? Do you, I, 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 next time I'm going to ask this question. Do you, I had you this situation yesterday, weird? Steve. Yesterday. I was on the phone with somebody talking about something, and all of a sudden it's in the ad 10 minutes later, and I couldn't even believe it. And I thought to myself, I didn't oh my search God. for this. 
I didn't do anything. Is it listening? I know it's not or says they're not, but sometimes it's so crazy you can't you don't even know how it's happening. Yeah. Steve. I know. It, it's a little weird and sometimes you feel like, okay, I would even like sort of get off the yeah. like, that's that's it was a pair right. of shoes I bought once. And I only buy shoes like once every couple of years. And then I bought the shoes and the shoes were on the Facebook ad. I'm like, well, wait a second. How did that happen? Yeah, shoes um, and underwear, Steve. And, right? um, no, underwear so is no, no. I could weigh in on broadcast cable and, and X. That yeah. would be the only thing I can. Yeah. And I don't like getting ads on X. I, try, I get rid of them. It's like, who are you? How did you get to me? And I didn't ask for this. I don't like it. Steve, uh, we've got to get to you. I, I want to I throw one. Go ahead. I want, I want to throw one other idea out, Joe, which is, um, so I was talking to my son about this. He's uh, 20-something. And um, I told him about the results. And he goes, yeah, I don't use Facebook. I said, but there's that 33% of the 18 to 34 that say they use Facebook. Are you sure you don't use it? I said, what about Facebook Marketplace? He goes, he goes oh, I look at that every day. So I'm wondering if somehow Zuckerberg has found a way to capture this younger uh, cohort on this Facebook marketplace where he's looking for whatever he's looking for there. But that's a place they seem to engage, but maybe not don't think of it as Facebook or the place where the old folks are hanging out. Right. All right, we got Walter here uh, to talk about all this. Oh, good. Uh, we're going to, I mean, we got a lot to talk to you about, obviously, with this, you know, Warner Brothers and everything. But let me, I'm going to look at this intro. Do I even want to read it? AI is making its way into the newsroom, and as more companies begin to use the new technology, old legislation like Section 230 is calling into question what is protected. Joining us now to talk about this, and of course, the possible tie up of Warner Brothers and Paramount is CNBC contributor Walter Isaacson. He's like, uh, he's the author of Elon Musk, and that's since we were just talking about uh, X and, and whether it's relevant or not. I don't know if you saw our, our billionaire, an another Steve Leeson report yesterday. I, I, the, the most fascinating thing to me was the, the, the most beloved billionaire only got plus 15, because people just hate billionaires, I guess, or they're envious. Warren Buffett. <laughs> what got me was that, that Elon was zero, but Zuckerberg and Bezos were like minus 35. So after all this, after you know, fracturing the, the entire feeling of the country, the tribalism, and now that you know, people are either here with Elon or here uh, with Elon at, th at this point, he still gets a zero. That shows you how fervent his supporters the zero are. Zero meaning that it's balanced. It, it, haters it, and, and haters lovers. and lovers. Where Zuckerberg's minus thirty-five. You know, Just, uh, Musk has always been polarizing. Obviously, this well, year more so. Not but as boy, polarizing he, as Zuckerberg. He's but minus he has fervent fans. Huh? Yeah, he has he's got fervent fans. fans. Um, after Andrew's interview and after the wow, Hamas yeah. stuff, I, I think he's too big to fail. That's, that's what I've come up with. He is too big to cancel, isn't he? He's too big to cancel. You know, John Oliver just did this piece on him that was sort of uh, critical, but by the end says the same thing, that this guy is all over our lives. We got to understand him, and that's kind of the point of my book, which is... He's all over our lives in all sorts of ways, a fascinating character who's going to enrage you, but he's also going to engage you. You've got to figure him out. I'm trying to figure out why he finally gets a pass, and I think it's because even the worst-case scenario for Elon, I, I still understand him. It's just a, an individual who might have a few flaws, but I don't think he'd really mean anything that, that would cause him to get canceled. Well, he... 
he's always shooting himself in the foot. He's always about to go on the cliff. But we've seen this since 2008, and especially 2018 when he's doing the pedophile tweets. And then when he buys Twitter, pedophile. it's amplified. I forgot about the pedophile yeah, yeah, tweets. Man, this, is like, this is not <laughs> new. And I must say, after following him for two and a half years, I'd still say, oh, my God, Twitter's about to go off the cliff. He's going to crash and burn, or this is going to crash But nobody's and burn. as mad at Twitter as they are at Facebook, apparently, and, and the damage that Facebook has done to, to kids and everything else, I guess. Is that, is that why Zuckerberg... Yeah, I think, I think the kids' problem is uh, there with Facebook. What I Bezos also think... Becky says it's, it's just from, you know, hanging out on yachts with yeah, Warren I, Sanchez. I think constantly. Bezos would have, would have rated higher a few years ago. I can't figure out why he has such negatives when so people love Amazon. You know, you know... Hang around on yachts. No, I'm trying to figure out why would he get such negative ratings because I think a few years ago he would not have. You know what? I'm not sure I believe all these polls. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, people have instinctive reactions. The thing about, I think, Twitter or X is now because partly of the Gaza, partly of the anti-Semitism fights, the Ivy League fights, in the past month or so, usage has gone up and not just daily users but the amount of time they spend on it, so people are getting more engaged. Advertising has gone down mainly because it's brand advertising like Disney that doesn't want to be in a toxic stew, but that's not the main type of advertising you're going to get. You were talking about direct response ads. Once they figure out that you like giving jewelry to your family or you like buying whatever. They just need higher quality stuff. The stuff I bought was all garbage. It was? Yeah, I bought oh. stuff last, last holiday season, and I was shocked at the lousy quality of it. They need higher quality stuff that they're pitching. Well, that's it. I mean, I remember when, you know, it's CNN or Time, and that was it. You fill some of the bad ads with 1-800, you know. You mean yeah. CNN, CBS? Uh, they all merging now. Yeah, tell right. me we, that we want to. We're gonna have to do like a rapid fire because I was. I was just thinking yeah. we haven't asked you about plagiarism in Harvard. And yeah. I mean, what a bizarre set of circumstances that we're seeing there with with the 700 faculty member <laughs> Jason Furman. I, I I can't figure that out. What do you think should happen there? She got any issues with, with plagiarism? Is she is she too big to fail for for yeah, woke at the reasons? Moment, at the moment, she is for woke reasons. Well, because you can't just run a president out. It, it's going to take they time. Ran Harvard Liz, they been, ran Liz McGill out. Right. And I don't think that was the greatest of all things. I think you've got to take your time here. This has got to play. Harvard's been around almost 400 years. It's going to be around another 400 years. It's even on the Gaza thing. You think, okay, everybody should catch breath for a minute or two, assess things. I think this will play out. I don't think the plagiarism stuff is all that bad. But really? I do think it's part of the atmosphere. What if the students did that? They'd be out, out of Harvard immediately. I've gone through it all. It's, uh, some of it is, you know, there are a few where we see What really... if you did it? You would oh, yeah. never do I would, that. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty careful. Or I have you? Footnotes all over the place. You, you're, yeah. you're enabling. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen what she was changing in these later papers. I saw the Harvard statement that said... We didn't find her guilty of plagiarism, but she's going to go back and add citations and quotations that she forgot to put in She was never secretive. She cited, I mean, she used the names of the people she was paraphrasing. Okay, so you've read it. But she didn't uh, put it in quotes. She didn't cite it fully enough. Uh, These are things you definitely shouldn't do. I don't think 
that's the biggest deal. The biggest deal is can you run a very large, complex institution? You're a teacher, too, a professor yeah. at Tulane. If a student did what she did, what, what would you do? I'm more worried about them using chat GPT or other no, things. But seriously, but I, yeah. I, haven't seen, I haven't seen it. If, if a student were oh, to do that. Oh, that's what you would teach them. You'd say, hey, hey, be, I mean, it's something I did at Time Magazine when people would, I'd say, just err on the side of being more generous. Put the person's name, if you're going to use something that was their idea, put it in the paragraph. Don't just bury it in the acknowledgments. So everybody on everything we're doing today should learn to be a little bit more generous. And that's one of the problems we're having with our hair being on fire about everything from college campuses is, you know, take a breath. These things, there are certain things that are really bad happening in this world. Under well, citation is not one of them. We watch professors get fired for misgendering people. Mm -hmm. Now they don't get fired for saying, you know, genocide. Did it. I mean, don't, I, would, I wouldn't minimize it and just say, take a breath. It's not a big deal. No, no, no. I was, I was talking about okay. the, uh, the miscitation. But just in general, they have screwed up right. our, our, and our colleges a larger beyond issue, belief. Which is... We have a system for 400 years, starting in Germany, where the faculties of each department get to hire faculties in that department. Right. They get to tenure them, which means they can drift as they have to the left and then to being woke. And it's very you know what hard. What happens to, to places like islands that where they're so incestuous that they're only in between? Do you know what kind of people are finally? Yeah, that's a very good comparison to certain universities. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. You keep perpetuating. What about CBS and, and CNN? You didn't. We, we didn't. Uh, see, man, you're like a <laughs> rabbit. We got to. We got to because we get you here. We haven't got enough time. You know, obviously there's regulatory issues there, but David Zasloff, who happens to be a friend, yeah. truly understands that you've got to consolidate as much content as possible. If you want to survive. If you yeah. want to survive. And uh, Sherry, um, um, uh, Red Zone wants to get out of uh, Paramount, so he's got to make a bid for it. Uh, it's hard to assess antitrust at the moment. I was somewhat surprised right. that Random House, Simon & Schuster got knocked down, and we'll see even in the airline industry. Consolidation in the media content industry is more complicated because it's hard to know what you're talking about when it's the market. What does Netflix feel? Is it part of it? Uh, so I, I think there's a good shot to go like, through. I do think quickly, but and, and it's like the, the what all Americans are facing right now uh, as a media to try to merge. Would Trump be any better than Biden's bad for, for trying to merge? Trump might be mad at. One of the reporters oh, he could be at mad CNN, at CBS or he, CNN. He, he, he's going to pull MSNBC's okay, license. Okay, but, but admit it, that's more dangerous. Well, it's more dangerous, but you don't know either way. You wouldn't know who, you wouldn't know which horse to bet on. Well, it's more if dangerous to, to America's values of a well, free press got, you know, so, to decide so, so, to have a president who's going to say, I don't like the merger because I don't like what CNN well, is saying well, about me. Well, he, he says it out loud. Other people might just do it. It's also very dangerous to have 14,000 people coming across the border every day and saying, what? This well, is well, we're on lightning round. No, yeah, we immigration. are. We are. We're on. If you're worried <laughs> about democracy. This is a big for more time with you the next yeah, time you're on. We, we, cannot, we got, we got we democracy problems on both sides. I like that introduction when you said we were going to talk about AI. Yeah. 
That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening today and every day that you do. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And a few reminders, please tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Get the best of our TV show right in your ears when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Click that follow button, tell a friend to follow too. That's it. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.